Welcome to Emily Rose Meditations. I'm your host, Emily, and today we'll be engaging Julian of Norwich to help us understand how God responds to sin and encourages us to prayer. This is the 19th chapter of Julian of Norwich's short text entitled Revelations of Divine Love. Take a deep breath, and wherever you are, let your shoulders relax, let your attention settle, and I invite you to open your heart to these words. After this, our Lord gave a revelation about prayer. I saw two qualities in those who pray, like those I have felt in myself. One is that they do not wish to pray for anything that may be, but only for things which are God's will and his glory. The second thing is that they set themselves strongly and continually to pray for things which are his will and his glory. And that is what I have understood from the teaching of Holy Church. And in this, our Lord gave me the same teaching, to have as God's gift faith, hope, and love, and hold them until our lives end. And so we say Pater Noster, Ave, and the Creed with devotion, as God may grant. And so we pray for all our fellow Christians and for all manner of men, according to God's will. For we wish that all manner of men and women were in the same state of virtue and grace that we ought to desire for ourselves. But yet, for all this, we often do not trust God Almighty fully, for it seems to us that because of our unworthiness, and because we're feeling absolutely nothing, we cannot be certain that he is hearing our prayers. For often we are as barren and as dry after our prayers as we were before. And so we feel our folly is the cause of our weakness. I have felt like this myself. And our Lord brought all this suddenly into my mind, strongly and vividly, and as a comfort to me against this kind of weakness in my prayers. He said, I am the foundation of your prayers. First, it is my will that you should have something, and then I make you desire it, and then I make you pray for it. And if you pray, then how could it be that you should not have what you pray for? And thus, in his first statement, along with the three which follow, our good Lord shows us something immensely helpful. Where he begins by saying, if you pray for it, there he reveals the very great joy and unending reward that our prayer will receive from him. And where he says next, then how could it be that you should not have what you pray for? There he gives a serious rebuke because we do not trust 
as strongly as we should. Thus, our Lord wants us both to pray and to trust. For the purpose of the preceding statements is to strengthen us against weakness in our prayers. For it is God's will that we should pray, and he moves us to do so in these preceding words. He wants us to pray with sure trust, for prayer pleases him. Prayer gives man pleasure in himself and makes him calm and humble, where before he was contentious and troubled. Prayer unites the soul to God. For though the soul is always like God in nature and substance, yet because of sin on man's part, it is often in a state which is unlike God. Prayer makes the soul like God. When the soul wills what God wills, it is then in a state like God, as it is like God in nature. And so God teaches us to pray and to trust firmly that we shall obtain what we pray for, though everything which is done would be done, even if we never prayed for it. But the love of God is so great that he considers us sharers in his good deed, and therefore he moves us to pray for what it pleases him to do. And for these prayers, and for the good will which he grants us, he will reward us and give us an everlasting recompense. And this was shown in these words, if you pray for it. In this statement, God revealed to me such great pleasure and so much delight that it seemed as if he was deeply grateful to us for every good deed that we do and yet it is he who does them. And because we entreat him earnestly to do everything that pleases him, as if he said, then what could please me more than to be entreated earnestly, truly, and eagerly to do what I wish to do? And thus, prayer makes accord, agreement between God and man's soul. Though while man's soul is near to God, there is no need for him to pray, but reverently to contemplate what he says. For during all the time of my showing, I was not moved to pray, but always to have this good in mind for my comfort, that when we see God, we have what we desire, and then we do not need to pray. But when we do not see God, then we need to pray because we lack something. And to make ourselves open to Jesus. For when a soul is tempted, troubled, and isolated by distress, then it is time to pray and to make oneself pliable and submissive to God. Unless we are submissive, No kind of prayer can make God bend to us, though his love is always alike. But while man is in a state of sin, he is so enfeebled, so unwise and unloving, that he can neither love God nor himself. His worst trouble is blindness, for he cannot see all this. Then, 
the whole love of God Almighty, which is ever one, gives him eyes to see himself. And then he supposes that God is angry with him for his sin. And then he is moved to contrition and by confession and other good deeds to allay God's anger until he finds rest of soul and ease of conscience. And then it seems to him that God has forgiven his sins. And it is true. And then it seems to the soul that God turns toward it as though it had been in pain or in prison, saying this, I am glad you have come to rest, for I have always loved you and love you now, and you love me. And thus, with prayers, as I have said before, and with other good works that are customarily taught by Holy Church, the soul is united to God. There's this YouTube video of an Orthodox priest who's explaining what sin looks like in the relationship between God and and a person. He's got two folding chairs set up facing one another, and the human one then turns away, breaks that communion, that relationship. The God chair moves to the other side to be in front of the human chair again. And when the human chair turns away again, the God chair moves again, over and over and over. I love how this visual communicates God's continual big effort to have an open channel of love reaching us, no matter how many times and how often we turn away. It also shows how the effort is really all on God's part. It's not a matter of us running to God's castle in the clouds and pounding on the door and begging on scraped knees to be admitted inside, but that God is always there, always all ready, ready to receive us, just like in the prodigal son parable. What might that kind of surrender look like? in our lives? Where have you been turning away again and again? What energy might we be wasting in the constant cold shoulder we're trying to maintain toward the divine? What might it feel like to trust God and get that energy back for some happier use? Thank you for joining me today. The peace of Christ be with you.